On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. This journey around the Holy Land, Mike, is taking us to lots of different places. We're now in Tabga. Where, where is Tabga? Tabga is a little village just two miles west of Capernaum where Jesus made his base. And it was a really popular fishing spot in those days. So remember, some of his disciples had been fishermen, so this would have been uh, really well known to them. And the reason it was so popular is that there are warm water springs that feed into the Sea of Galilee here. Uh, and that attracts the fish very much. So it was a really busy fishing area. In fact, they recently discovered um, a harbour breakwater, qu quite a long one, a couple of hundred feet long, um, and, and a second one as well, showing that it, it really was quite a busy fishing harbour in those days if it had breakwaters around it. So we are calling our conversation His Provision. Why is that? Because we're going to remember here one of the biggest acts of provision that Jesus did. We've come to the church of the multiplication. What multiplication? Well, the multiplication of five little loaves and two little fish into a meal enough to feed at least 5,000 men and their families and to have some left over. And if that's not provision, well, I don't know what is. Well, remind us of the story. Where do we find that in the Bible? Well, do you know what? It's in all four of the Gospels. And that tells you something immediately. Clearly, this was a story that impacted the Gospel writers and the early church. But I've chosen to read it from Mark's Gospel because as Mark records this, maybe we can listen as we read, but there are all sorts of tiny little details that reflect the sort of thing an eyewitness would have noted himself. So let's hear the story before we, we talk about it then. So we read from Mark chapter 6 and verse 30 that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And it's going to be really ironic because what follows, they get anything but rest. But that's what they were looking for. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed... And saw a large crowd. Now, do you know what? If this had been me, I know what I would have said next. His heart sank. But no, not, not Jesus. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Well, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, look, this is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that, that would take eight months of someone's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? 
How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who'd eaten that day was five thousand. There's a number of details in there that I want to ask you about. Not least you know, because of where we are, uh, at Tapka, on the Sea of Galilee. So that crowd gathering to hear him. The reference, for example, to his compassion, that it was like they were sheep without a shepherd. Um, you, you know, where, where, why is that little reference in there, I wonder? Well, I think, like I said, when I just paused in the reading, you know, the natural response will be to, oh, no, my goodness, not again. Frankly, as a pastor over the years, I felt that at times, you know, you've had a meeting, you've preached, you prayed for lots of people, you're just about to go home and someone comes and says, Pastor, would you pray for me? And if you're honest, your heart sinks at that moment. You think, I want to go home and have lunch. But here's the big heart of Jesus for people. You know, Jesus is never too busy, never too involved in other things to be bothered with our life and the details of our life. He's, he's one who is the Lord of glory, always has compassion on us, always has, let's put it this way, always has a big heart towards us. I find that very challenging. We'll come on to why perhaps this has become known as the Church of the Multiplication. I can see that the numbers don't add up for a start. I mean, for the disciples, <laughs> their reaction is probably not surprising. Yeah, this is going to be an example of God's impossible mathematics, really, isn't it? Because here, as these people start to gather around him, having followed him, even though he tried to get away, there's this huge crowd, and it's noted as 5,000 men, and some of the other Gospels makes clear 5,000 men, as well as women and children. So, you know, maybe they didn't have everyone's wife there, maybe not every kid's, but, you know, we're probably thinking something like the feeding of the 10,000 rather than the feeding of the 5,000. And we're talking about doing that from five loaves and two fish. Actually, two little fish. The word that's used in the Gospels of this is, is a word for a small fish. It might be like a sardine. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was even used in Greek of a titbit five little loaves and two little fish as a titbit. So hardly anything. Hardly anything. And the fact that the word that is used in one of the Gospels for, it was a young boy, we discover in one of the other Gospels, whose picnic this was. And the word that's used there is a word for a little boy. So it's a little boy, four, five, six years old, we don't know, with his little packed lunch that his mum's made for him. And Jesus is going to take that and multiply what we recall here on this site and this church to feed all these people. That really is impossible. 
in the church itself, just we're next to it actually, there's a lovely little courtyard and the uh, church itself has various, uh, though it's simple inside, having briefly looked inside just now, it's uh, it's very symbolic. How, how is the uh, representation of the fish and bread shown? Well, this church that we're looking at here, David, is, it's a modern 20th century limestone church built on exactly the same pattern as the very first Byzantine church, which always had uh, columns down either side, uh, circular asps at the front. And when they built this modern church, they built it on exactly the same plan as the 4th century basilica that was first built here. And it's built over uh, bedrock, and there's still a piece of the bedrock from underneath that shows right under the altar at the front of the church. And the altar is placed over that bedrock. And tradition says that it was on that rock that Jesus spread out the loaves and fish. Now, I suspect there's a bit of tradition going on there. It doesn't actually tell us he spread anything out. But again, it is representative of what happened, if not on this very spot, very, very close to here, indeed. But perhaps the main way the story is recalled in this wonderful, very simple church is through a mosaic that is there just in front of the bedrock. And they've preserved the mosaic from that 4th century Byzantine church. So this is a mosaic that is hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it's a mosaic of a basket in which there are, now note this, four loaves and two fish. So you just see four loaves there and a couple of fish in front of it. So clearly a reference back from earliest times to them believing it was here or very close to here that that miracle happened. But why the discrepancy between four and five? Yeah, by the look on your face, I could see that you were going to ask that question. So, yeah, the basket has four loaves of bread. Why four? Well, there are different reasons for that. Some suggest, quite simply, they didn't have the space to put the fifth loaf in. It is quite a compact mosaic. Or possibly that the fifth loaf of bread was behind the front one, but they didn't have the ability to represent perspective in a mosaic like that. But the Roman Catholic view takes a a different view. They believe very deliberately that there are four loaves of bread there. Why? Because the fifth loaf of bread is the one that is still available today on the altar when in Catholic theology the bread on the altar becomes the very body and blood of Christ. And whether one believes in that particular aspect or not, it's at least an opportunity to think this is not just a story for then, this is a story for now. The bread of life that Jesus comes to bring wasn't just for then, it's available still for all who will receive him through faith today. And looking again at the Bible passage, you said it's in every gospel, the maths don't add up, so... How did it work out? (laughs) We don't know. It was a miracle. But I I think there are sort of some clues as we look at it. Here is Jesus telling them to, to bring what you have. You know, that's an important principle, first of all. Whenever we are looking for God to do something, bring 
what you have. Bring what you have to God and see what God will do with it. I've seen God do miracles with resources and provision again and again, where churches have not had the resources to renew their building or renew their roof or engage in some kind of mission. But they've taken an offering and brought what they had, and guess what? God has done something miraculous with it. So he gets them to bring what they have. He gets the people to sit down. And you know, I spoke earlier about the eyewitness detail. He gets them to sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Only someone who'd been there Hmm. would have noticed that. He gets them to sit down on the green grass. It's as if Mark and Peter, whose account Mark's gospel is based on, was remembering, do you remember that day? The grass was so green. Now, for us in Britain, we're used to green grass. You know, we get that much rain, it's green most of the year, isn't it? Nicely mown lawn and all that kind of thing. But you know... here... Yeah, I mean, just look here, even to our side at the moment, you know, some of the grasses and some of the plants are anything but green. Why? Because it's a hot, arid country. But it's like, do you remember? Do you remember that day did the miracle? The grass was so green. It's almost like it was a prophecy of what was about to get transformed and then it says this he took the loaves and the fish and the first thing he does is he lifts it to God he looks up to heaven he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves so he's putting God his father right at the center always a good thing to do when you don't know what to do put God at the center then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them. So he's giving it to the disciples. Now, we've still got five loaves and two fish, and yet he's giving it to his disciples. Now, where did the miracle happen? Did it happen in his hands as he broke it and gave it, and he kept breaking and breaking, and there was still more? I actually think when you look at all four of the Gospels together and compare them. And that's a good thing to do, by the way. Sometimes when you get the same story in different Gospels, put them together and see what little detail you get. I think what is more likely to have happened, and which seems to me to characterize the sort of thing that Jesus would have done because he was mentoring his disciples and training them for the future. I think he broke it into 12 bits to give to his disciple, put one of the bits in Peter's hand or James's hand or John's hand and said, there you are, go and feed them. (laughs) And if that had been me, put yourself in the story, we've often said, you're looking at this bit of bread in your hand. And it seems to be that as they broke it, it was multiplied. Now, it's still his miracle, his provision, but he's saying, come on, I'm going to draw you into this. So it looks like the miracle may have happened as the 12 disciples took it and broke it and shared it with people. Now, imagine again, you were there, you've got this, you know, it's going to be quite a small piece he's given you, but you break it off, but you look down, it's still the same size, and you break it off, and it's still the same size, and you break it off. Do you know what, by the time you got to your end of your block of 50 or 100. I think you'd be buzzing, wouldn't you? God's doing something here. And I I think they would have been so buzzing with excitement. So I think this is a miracle that Jesus draws his disciples into as you look at the accounts. That's certainly multiplication for sure. And 
apart from the reaction that there must have been from the crowd, the large crowd, I'm also thinking of that little boy. I mean, he was he was from round here. <laughs> That's a really good thought. Do you know what? I bet there was a mixture of, like, wide-eyed amazement, as there would have been for everyone. But I wonder if, as well, as he went home to his mum, there was a, you'll never guess what happened with my packed lunch today. Yes, exactly. And the story he would have to share as he grew up. It would have been amazing, wouldn't it? Because, you know, it's easy for us just to read these as stories, accounts in the Bible, and we move on to the next story. This little boy would have lived with this for the rest of his life, wouldn't he? He would have remembered it, would have remembered what Jesus did with him and through him. And, you know, it, it is still the same today. I, I think when we see God use us in some way, no, it shouldn't lead to pride, anything but. But what it should lead is to joy, to a provocation that, come on, the God who did this before can do it again. You've explained the multiplication and we've called this conversation his provision, but it wasn't just providing enough food. No, it's wonderful. There's that little note at the end of the story, wasn't there, that again reflects eyewitness detail, that when they'd all eaten and were satisfied, so everyone's had more than enough from this miracle, the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. And... This is amazing. I mean, not only is there provision, there's more than enough provision. What a picture of what God is like. He doesn't just give the bare minimum. He gives far more than we could ever ask or imagine, Paul says in one of his letters. And they gather up these 12 baskets full. Now, clearly there is imagery there. 12 for any Jewish reader would immediately get them to think 12. What is that? It's the number of the tribes of Israel, the number of God's people. And I don't think that means that the gospel writers made that up. Or let's say there were 12, so it looks like his provision for all God's people. I think there really were 12. It happened to be 12. And it's as if this is a picture. Listen, Jesus is the one who provides, not just for the crowd who was there that day. Jesus is the one who can provide for all of God's people, for all 12 baskets full and all that they represent. And not just Israel. But for way beyond that, he came for everyone of every nation. So the encouragement I take from how this story ends is that God's provision is not just for then, and it's not just for this group of people. It's ongoing. It, it's for all who will come to him, all who will humbly say, Lord, we have run out of resources. Do you know, we're not very good at doing that sometimes, are we? We're, we're so self-sufficient in the West. We hate asking people for help. The number of times as a pastor I've heard people say over the years to me, oh, I didn't like asking. And particularly in Brits, there's something doesn't like asking. But you know what? God wants us to ask because when we ask, we're showing dependence on him. We're saying, I can't do this. I don't have the resources for this. God, we need you. And that's why sometimes in life, it's good to have a project that stretches us way beyond ourselves and the means we can see, whether as individuals or family as a church, because it really means we have to rely on nobody but God and his wonderful provision. I also noticed you said that Jesus broke the bread, the loaves, for 12 of his apostles. So each of those 12 would have 
perhaps gathered up the 12 baskets. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that would have reinforced for them. Each of them would have had their own story, wouldn't they? Just wonderful little details here in the whole of this story. Now, I thought I've read that there's also the story of the feeding of the 4,000. So is that is that a... Is that the same, but with the different numbers? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a couple of chapters on in Mark. We can find that in Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. And do you know what? Over the years, some scholars have said, oh, well, clearly, this is the same story, but the tradition got changed. So, you know, some would even say, well, you know, it wasn't as great a miracle as this. And as the story was told, it grew. It got exaggerated. And one tradition exaggerated it to 4,000. One exaggerated it to 5,000. Not at all. I think for two reasons. First of all, it makes Mark out to be an idiot. And Peter, who lay behind this story, it makes him out to forget that just two chapters earlier he'd written this story. And second, there are significant details of difference between the two stories. But the biggest difference in detail is this. Mark chapter 6 is set here in Tabgah, among a Jewish community. In Mark chapter 8, the story is set in Gentile territory in the region of the Decapolis on the eastern side right. of the Sea of Galilee. So the miracle that he does there seems to be for Gentiles. The miracle that he does here is for Jews. And again, a picture of Jesus coming for both Jew and Gentile, for people of every nation. So his provision wasn't just for the Jewish people? Not at all. And we come across stories in the gospel at times where his provision through miracles of healing or whatever is seen at times for Gentiles. Now, he primarily focused on the Jewish people. He was a Jewish person, a Jewish rabbi. He came primarily for the Jewish people to give them the first opportunity to respond to the message that the prophets of the Old Testament had prepared for. But while he came for Israel, he didn't come just for Israel. He came for Israel and for the nations. And that story of the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8 is just one picture of that. Are there any significant differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 other than the number of people that were fed? <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest difference, isn't it? And one being for... Uh, Jews and the other being Gentiles. Yeah, I mean, one of the other differences, for example, is that in the Mark 8 story with the feeding of the 4,000, when he asked them how many loaves they have there, there are seven rather than five here. So some little details there that show us these are two quite different stories, not just a rather botched putting together of the same story told in two different ways. And does Jesus reference the two separate miracles? Yes, because as we go on in Mark chapter 8, after the feeding of the 4,000, um, he picks up what he's done. In fact, it's probably good if I just read those few verses. Uh, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat, as he goes on after that story. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Well, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we've got no bread. So they didn't understand him. They think he's talking about bread and he's talking about the yeast of their beliefs that spread so easily. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? 
Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, seven, another special number in Jewish thinking, God's number, the perfect number. And he said to them, do you still not understand and gave up on them at that point? So it's interesting there, Jesus himself clearly references both stories and distinguishes them. So these are two quite different events of his provision. It seems like there were several reasons behind these miracles, in fact. There was Jesus' compassion, but also he was trying to make a point. Yeah, and I think there's a number of points, to be honest. Clearly, the most obvious point is he is the Lord of provision. He was then, he is still today. For anyone in a situation where they just need some provision from God, bring it to God. If all you've got is five loaves and two fishes, bring it to him and see what he will do with it. Um, but a little later in John's Gospel, in John chapter 6, he'll reference this whole thing where he, he sort of gives a, a deeper spiritual meaning. Now, that doesn't take away from the literalness of what happened, but he, he takes the story of the, the feeding of the 5,000 as an opportunity to, to teach people who come chasing after him um, about who he really is. In, in fact, I'll read it. Um, they go rushing after him. Obviously, they're captivated by this miracle. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you had the loaves and had your fill. In other words, I know what you lot are after. You know, you just have to cheat meals from now on. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus said, the work of God is, is this, to believe in the one he sent. And then they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And it's interesting, what they're saying there is, okay, Jesus, we, we saw that you fed 5,000 people for one day, but you know, Moses fed God's people for 40 years in the wilderness. So can you give us a sign? I mean, he's just given them a sign, but they're asking for another. And Jesus goes on and teaches them out of that and says, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who gives you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So he takes it as a teaching opportunity to show not just God's provision for people, but how he himself is the very best provision. And that if only we will as it were, take Jesus into our life the same way we would take food into our life, really make it part of us, then whoever receives Jesus in his life will never go hungry. And he's thinking you're spiritually hungry. You, you'll never be in want. 
because you'll have within your heart the presence of the Son of God himself. And where he is, is always God's blessing and God's provision. Well, as we conclude here by this beautiful setting by the Sea of Galilee at Tabgha, with this little church of the multiplication, just pray for us, Mike, as we reflect on his provision. Lord Jesus, help us always to be those who bring the little that we have and put it in your hand with an expectation that you will multiply it. And when we face lack, help us to trust in your provision that it was not just for then, but is also for now. Help us not to be too proud to ask you but to remember you're a father who loves to provide for your children may we be both provoked and encouraged by that truth we pray in Jesus name Amen, Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land Tracing the life of Jesus, then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus, then and now. And you can hear more 30-minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB Player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs, or Bible surprises.